So excited to share with you today this last message in our series, Happy Holy Homes. Uh, in previous weeks, we've taken a look at a lot of the dangers that face our houses, our homes, marriage uh, issues, even before marriage begins, struggles between parents and children. Today, we take a look at God's beautiful design, a design that redeems, rescues, no matter what's shattered. Uh, and so we, we find this beautiful truth that we're going to put on display today. God desires and will even work with whatever home to build your life on that which lasts, a happy life. So let's set our hearts again to that message as we'll be inspired by Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 24 to 25. Uh, let's do so by opening with prayer. We pray. Sanctify us by the truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Have you ever had this experience in life where all of a sudden the light pops on, there's this epiphany, you learn something new, it's kind of maybe life-changing or a cool trivial fact, but it's cool nonetheless, uh, and uh, it was hidden there in plain sight all the time, all the way along, it was always there, but you, you come to realize it later. Uh, I've had that experience a number of times. Uh, just recently, I discovered Mario Luigi fans out there, Nintendo classic Nintendo game, right? Super Mario Brothers, uh, something I played back in the 80s. That's how old it is. Any kids that are with us yet? Right? So I didn't know this. I just learned this. Uh, Mario and Luigi, they bust question marks and bricks, not with their head, with their hand. Yeah, so you guys already knew that. Why didn't you tell me that? This <laughs> is life-changing, right? So if you look, they, they raise their hand and they jump. I won't do. That's weird. So I guess that, that info doesn't really matter much. It doesn't really change our lives, but it's interesting. Uh, how about this? This is maybe practical for some of our teens here. Uh, and I'm ashamed. I think I learned this like about five years ago. But when you're learning how to drive and you see that the gas gauge is very important to pay attention to. The E is not for excellent, it means empty, so as in, you know that. So when it's getting close to empty, you pull into a gas station, there's a little gas pump icon right next to the gas gauge with an arrow pointing one direction. Did you know that? You guys are too smart. That's, <laughs> I didn't, it's like five, five years ago I learned that. So that helps you when you pull into a gas station to know where your tank is on the left or the right. So that's great, especially rental cars. That helps. Pay attention to that. All right, maybe not life-changing. Well, another one that I just found out the other day, if you're a big fan of The Office, the sitcom, right? And that's still kind of a classic, and, and people still love it to this day. Michael Scott, who's the boss of the Scranton branch, of course, who's kind of clueless, uh, kind of. Uh, anyway, behind him on his right shoulder, on the wall, it looks like there's some kind of diploma there, suggesting that he's fit for his job, which is arguable. Uh, that's not a diploma. It's not even credentials from Dunder Mifflin, uh, the overseeing company. It's actually a certificate of authenticity for a Seiko watch that he purchased. But the funny thing is, when you look closer, it's S-E-Y-K-O. It's not how you spell Seiko. And, therefore, it's not authentic. It's a counterfeit. But he's clueless. He doesn't. He, he shows it off proudly. It's a running joke. That makes no difference in our life, if you know that. 
But I have this privilege today of sharing with you something that's hidden in plain sight, which is far more than just trivial. I kid you not, what God shares in this hour of worship is the recipe. If you're filling in blanks, it's the blueprints from worship to build a happy, holy family life. And that goes for if you're a family of one or a family of 101, lots of kids or whatever. The hour of worship is actually the pattern. If you want your home to be blessed, built on the foundation that is Christ, and weather all the storms of life. So this message is very practical for all of us, any of us, but we especially turn our, our thoughts, our sights on our children who in today's day and age, Generation Z and Generation Alpha coming up are reporting more mental health struggles, more despair, uh, more issues than at least have been reported with previous generations. In plain sight, hidden all along, in plain sight, the hour of worship really is something that we can use if we live out in our homes to bless our loved ones, and our friends. How so? Well, there, there are five aspects, pretty much in almost every worship service we have, that we can learn from and live out in worship. I want to cover those five aspects with you today and celebrate the goodness of God that right here, right now, is the recipe to bless you. And even better, it isn't really based on works. It's based on grace. Grace which God would love to fill your homes with every waking hour. So let's jump into this first aspect of worship. Know this, worship is for every hour of the week. It's not just a one-hour thing, but this hour, of course, is special. It's where we gather as a, a corporate body of believers and publicly proclaim God's name, and we see his divine work. It's a divine service that he exercises here where he claims in baptism like he did with Miles today. All of us, all by grace. God is doing the work here. But this worship isn't just for these four walls in this place in this hour. The Lord, in his word, opens our eyes to see that when we leave this place, we enter a sanctuary as big as the world. And we can worship God every waking hour. That's his desire. By the way, it's not about him. When God calls us to worship him every waking hour, it's not because God needs that, but the selfless, loving God, he has us, directs our thoughts to worshiping him so that he might bless us because there's a connection between life and worship. But for now, let, let's establish this biblical truth. Worship is really beyond just a, a Sunday morning, one hour thing, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's a blessing from God for all our lives. Jesus says this, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 10. In defeating the devil in the wilderness in your place and mine, Jesus proclaims this beautiful truth to live by. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that's not just a one-hour thing. But Jesus directs our thoughts. If you worship the Lord your God and serve him only, oh, he will enjoy life. Uh, Paul echoes the same truth this way about how worship is an all-encompassing thing when he says in Romans 12, verse 1, 
He says, on account of God's mercy, after you see the love of God, which is unlike anything you can find in this world, uh, incarnate on the cross, that's Jesus there. When you see that love and you know what that means, oh, he says, offer your bodies then in response as living sacrifices. Guess what? This, this, this is your spiritual act of worship. So this hour is just a pattern. It's a microcosm of the greater worship that we get to be about every day. And if we worship every waking hour, our homes will be happy. They'll be blessed. They will weather every storm. But, but again, maybe we're asking, well, what's the connection? Well, here's the beauty about worship. And, and by the way, God, when he created Adam and Eve, he created all of us. We were created to be worshipers of something. His design was that we would worship him. And it was for our blessing. Uh, worship is all about ascribing the highest value to something greater than ourselves. And the reason why God wants us to place our highest value, our treasure in him, because that's where our heart will be, is because it has a boomerang effect. And it's true. Uh, that is to say, whatever you worship, that value, that belonging comes back to you or the lack thereof. Think of it this way. I think this helps us kind of, oh, I, I see. Uh, how many people in this life worship money, chase after money? They might not call it worship, but whatever your greatest treasure is, that's what you worship. I, I, think about why people chase after money, after the almighty dollar. We even say the almighty dollar. <laughs> It's because they want fulfillment. We believe so much about our life. If we had more, if we had more money, more stuff, we're going to have more fulfillment. You see, we place value in that because it gives us fulfillment and value in return, we think. And if you have more money and you can do more things, you have more belonging, more people you can connect with, you can have more joy. But if you look at a celebrity's life, is that true? How many celebrities wrecked their lives because they loved money and maybe fame and they worship power and, and they thought they would get value and worth and belonging, but it's never enough and it's not permanent and their lives crash. Let's bring it closer to home. Do you know one of the reasons why we have struggles in our relationships it's because we have a tendency to worship the other person in our home. I mean, if we're single, we kind of worship the ideal, that person that will fulfill our lives. And so we have expectations and we want things to, to go a certain way. And when they don't, our lives crash, crumble. We worship our kids so often. We, we want them to be happy and satisfied. Why? Because it's a boomerang effect. We feel happy, fulfilled, satisfied. And when the, the relationship breaks or when they struggle, we downward spiral too. That's all worship talk. And, and so if we fill in the blanks, notice this. Worship grants us worth and belonging. And that's why we chase after anything and by nature, we worship anything but God. But God is so beautiful, so amazing, that when we worship him, guess what we receive? Because Christ is of infinite value, and you are covered in his blood. You 
You become of infinite value that never fades. And because Christ, and we can belong with him and his eternal family, even if you feel alone in this life, you belong to something so much greater, so much permanent. And we're privileged when we see that, when we worship God, to communicate that same infinite worth to our spouses, to our children, and the home. In other words, when I fail to be a good husband and father, I still have this privilege to point my children and my wife to Jesus, who is truly all they need. And so when I'm failing, that house still stands because it's built not on me, but on Christ. You see how worship works? And and we come here, we celebrate that God is our ultimate, our all in all, and we are blessed, we are forgiven, we're loved. Nothing can harm us, not in these four walls when we connect to that message. That same promise offering is for us outside of these walls. So let me ask you this. Are you experiencing infinite worth at home and a belonging that will last even if your loved ones fade away? I don't think any of us could say, yeah, I experience that every day. (laughs) Because life gets in the way. But God points our, our sights that you can experience that. Infinite value if I'm part of the home. Infinite belonging, if I'm what the, what, what the glue that you need to, to stay together as family. Now, what does this mean very practically? This is where the next three aspects of worship really help us out. So let's go ahead and move along and consider the second aspect of worship. Something that isn't just for this hour, but for all our relationships. Baptismal grace is to forge every relationship. Think uh, just a few moments ago when Miles was here getting baptized. You know how beautiful that really is and how different it is from all the relationships that this world offers? Uh, And we experienced it just before the baptism when we confessed our sins and God just said, I love you anyway, you're mine. That's a relationship of grace, relationship of grace, and we learn of it in the word grace. So when we come to worship, we celebrate this beautiful, unique truth that you can't find anywhere else in the world. It's not by nature. His relationship with us is not by works. You know how beautiful and practical that is? Not only in our relationship with him, but others. Think of this. When you came here today, God wasn't minded to say to you, hey, you you were pretty good this week. I guess our relationship's good. And he wasn't minded to say this too. Hey, You fell far short than what I desired. I guess our relationship is rocky. It's not good. And you didn't hear Jesus follow up by saying, you know, I think you need a little talk of condemnation, a little judgment, a little guilt, a little disappointment on my part until you get your act together. And he didn't create any Pharisees among us saying, hey, well done. Therefore, if you're a little bit better and you keep at it, maybe one day you can earn heaven. None of that. No matter where we've been, no matter what kind of week we've had, God is our Father, and He says, you're my child. and You can come to me with anything, and I will never drive you away. Because our relationships build on love. Not expectations, not guilt, not judgment, not condemnation, not good works. 
I give it all regardless, you're mine. Man, we need that, don't we? So think of this truth, what we find next with our thoughts. Jesus has something to say in Luke chapter 7. He says, the one forgiven much loves much. That comes out of this account where he met with two people, one who thought every relationship, even God's, was built on works, one who understood if relationships are built on works, we're lost, and so turns to grace. He's at this dinner party, this home of this Pharisee named Simon. It's not a happy home. And this Pharisee doesn't treat Jesus well, isn't generous to him, doesn't show him a lot of love. I mean, he's a guest, but he's kind of checking Jesus out just to see, like, are you really from God or not? Well, that same party, you remember, this woman comes in and she bows at Jesus' feet. She cries tears and wipes his feet with her tears, anoints it with oil. She keeps kissing his feet, wipes his feet with her hair. And everybody else is there like, whoa, this is weird. This is, she's a sinner. It's in that moment Jesus says, no, you know what's going on? He says to Simon the Pharisee, he's like, you build your relationships on works. You think God owes you. You think I owe you. You think other people owe you. And you think you deserve it because you've been so good. Let's see if your house stands. I'm paraphrasing all of the truth in that. Let's see if your house stands with that kind of understanding because guess what, Simon, you don't love. You don't think you need God's love and forgiveness. Therefore, you don't give it. Oh, but she... She has learned what grace means and forgiveness. And look, she puts it on display. That's how she interacts with others. You see how practical that is for our homes? So fill in the blank here. Worship impresses that the deepest relationships that we can have, they have to be built by grace. Let me ask you this question then. Are your relationships built by works or grace in the home? Here's where it gets really practical, right? When you think about your spouse, are you you're holding up expectations that they can't really fulfill? That's works. Are, are you more in love when they do what they need to? That's works. When, when they fall short, and they will because they're sinful people, do you give them the silent treatment? Do you shame? Do you guilt? Do you show you're disappointed? God does none of that. That would be a telltale sign we're building our relationships by works. By the way, that's what we do by nature. Think about our children, too. Do they feel exasperated? Are we all about just curbing outward behavior with them? Are we all about being embarrassed when they they aren't acting as they should? Do we come down heavy on the law, like not in my house? Or do we shepherd the heart? Do we build relationships by grace? And then set up boundaries and, yes, consequences for that which is harmful to them or to our house and home. So I ask you this, and if you have any tension in your relationships, any tension whatsoever, I guarantee that's a work mentality that's at play, whether from you or the other or both. But relationships that flourish, there's a mutual offering of grace. And that isn't by nature. And that's why worship is so important because when we worship, we see grace and we're inspired to give grace. 
So how do we learn to do that all the more? Well, this is what I love about the third aspect of worship. Filling in the blanks again here. So this is why God's word is to fill everyday conversations and be applied in all our experiences. You know, again, getting real practical. Every professional counselor, when there's family issues or relationship issues, will ask, how's the communication going? Is it being had? And when it is, is it encouraging? Is it positive? Are you a team? Are you working toward the same goals? Are you fighting against each other? Well, if only we had this beautiful recipe of how we can talk and what we should say in the home. Oh, wait, we do. It's in worship, isn't it? We hear God's word, his mindset, which is all truth and love. And then you have these sermons which are polished, taking that truth and applying it to all our life experiences. At least that's the hope. This is why the Apostle Paul, he says this in Colossians. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with gratitude in your hearts, and speaking God's truth in the home with all love. Your spouse will never break your heart if they listen and live by that word of grace. Your children will be happy and whole. Yes, they'll have problems. Yes, we'll all struggle. But they'll have this foundation. If we speak the word of God to them, truth and love. You, again, think about how often communication breaks down in the home. We are inclined to give the silent treatment. We're inclined to beat someone over the head with truth but no love. Or, because we love so much, we turn a blind eye to that which needs to be called out in truth and love. Again, don't you see that's how we parent by nature? That's how we even approach marriage by nature? God intervenes. God says, in worship, I'll give you the words to speak. Truth and love. So worship teaches us how to speak and experience grace and truth? So here's the challenge question for us. Think of your conversations in your home between you and a spouse or your children or just general relationship, friendship. Is the communication that's experienced there, is it worthy of coming from a pulpit? I'll be the first to admit there are many conversations I've had from my wife. I'd be ashamed if it came from the pulpit. Many conversations I've had against my children, I'd be ashamed for you to hear from a pulpit. So God covers that with grace. God speaks his beautiful word of life and says, you're still my child. All is forgiven. See Jesus at the cross. Learn from that word then how to speak words of life. That's the aim that all our words would sound like they could come from a pulpit. And grace covers all the rest. All right, so now let's take a look at this fourth aspect of worship, which is truly important. The Lord's Supper offers the ideal model for a new humanity and marriage. You ever think of the Lord's Supper that way? Now, often we see the Lord's Supper here, and uh, we all gather, and there's so much going on, and there's so much to the Lord's Supper that we could just stop and celebrate. Jesus, by promise, says, I'm here for you. 
in a simple taste of bread and a drink of wine. And in that moment, even if you haven't gotten anything out of the sermon, and if you wonder, could God truly love me for what I've done? When you come and you taste and eat, it's just God and you in that moment. He says, taste, feel, touch. All is forgiven. You're my child. And I'm giving you to a life full of meaning and purpose and love. Every time we eat of it. Oh, I long for the table for that alone. But then we see we're not alone. We're a family of believers completely united and we receive and it is beautiful. But what we might not see is how practical it is when we leave this table. By the way, this is a table, isn't it? And it's a table for fine dining. It's how every home can be. Gather around the table. What do we feast on? What do we enjoy? It's, it's love. It's love. And what, what's at the head of the table? Well, we have Jesus, the ideal man. And if every man and father and husband could pursue that ideal, be the first, though Lord of the house, if you will, would lay their life down as the slave of all. All families would be built up well. Communicating love no matter what's given in return. And what else do we see at this table? We've, we've got the Holy Christian Church presiding over the sacrament, nurturing God's children. That's the Holy Christian Church, the ideal woman who does much good, goes into the world, whose banner is Jesus, the one who laid down his life for that beautiful now washed bride. Every woman, every wife, every mother, there's your ideal to pursue. Every friend, to be the holy Christian church, to be like her. And there's love. Talk about love to build every relationship, a love that you can't find in the world, loves that are based on romance and me, 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 and friendship and me, me, me. No, this love is agape love. This is you first, you first, you first. Oh, if every home learned from worship, that worship models the ideal man at the Lord's Supper, the ideal woman by the Holy Christian Church at that same supper, and true love, homes would truly be happy and holy. So my question for every man, woman, and child here, are you pursuing this ideal in your home, resting on grace, seeing at the supper? There's what it means to be a man, Christ. There's what it means to be a woman, the Holy Church. That's what true love looks like. And then in humble confession, as I regularly am reminded, I fall far short of that, but God picks me up in the supper. And he makes me the kind of man I'm not by nature. He makes it by grace what I can be. And I have this joy of actually being honest and open and owning my own faults to my family, asking my beautiful bride, forgive me. I wasn't the kind of husband I should have been. Praise God for the supper. And she can say that same thing to me. And our children see that modeled. Oh, this is what it means to be a man and woman. There's a lot of stuff that we're pursuing in all of this. But notice this. Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine doesn't just hear in worship, but now lives it. You're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, yes. The streams rose, yes. And the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
Again, we remember James' words. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. Worship is that perfect pattern, a prescription to be doers. So as you leave today, hopefully that's something now no longer hidden, though in plain sight. And as you leave today, don't feel burdened because this whole place is all about grace. You cannot lose. You are perfect in God's sight by the blood of Jesus. And every day you get to build a happy home no matter the days have passed and and what has gone wrong. But still, there's more encouragement. This last aspect of worship, we find that encouragement we need. God blesses us with the help to build happy, holy homes. Worship reminds us then you're not alone. And you know, when we have that truth impressed upon us, it's in the last words of worship. You know them well, but let me read them. They're scriptural. They come right from Numbers chapter 6. You hear these words all the time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. That's God saying, that's Jesus saying, I am for you. I go with you. And not just me, but your people, God's people, that community. You're called workers. We're here. And if the world won't champion your home, we will. We want to see you thrive and survive and be blessed. We want to see your children do amazing, eternally impacting things with you. We're here for you. But we can't do it for you. You wouldn't even want us to. So as much as we love this hour of worship, this is not where we really build happy homes. And as much as we love our youth programs and our school, that's not where our children are built up into happy homes. No, we see that power for your home to be happy. It's with you, and it's in the gospel. We want to help. So let's walk away with this truth together with your pastors and teachers and staff ministers ready to help. Remember the pattern of worship? It's all about building a life and to build happy homes. That's the recipe. May God give us such happy homes And together, let's build them in Christ. Amen.